Did you know that heart disease, it turns out, is the number one cause of death in the United States? I did not know that until I did a little random research this week. Um, heart disease, I'm told, claims three quarters of a million lives every year. Heart disease claims more lives than all forms of cancer combined. Someone in the United States has a heart attack every 34 seconds. Direct and indirect costs of heart disease total $300 billion per year in the United States. And the statistics go on and on. So the American Heart Association and similar organizations remind us how very important it is to take care of this one-pound muscle in your chest. If this one muscle quits working, everything else stops too. And so this morning my sermon title is Critical Cardiac Care. Because your doctor and the American Heart Association aren't the only ones who are concerned about how you take care of your heart. The Bible has a lot to say about your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. Moses in Deuteronomy 6 verse 5 says that well-known verse, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. Heart. The next verse, he says, these words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. King Solomon at his inauguration ceremony exhorted the people, let your heart, therefore, be wholly devoted to the Lord our God, to walk in his statutes and to keep his commandments. Proverbs 2.2 says, make your ear attentive to wisdom, incline your heart to understanding. And we could go on and on with verses that, that tell us about this critical matter of caring for your heart. Guard it, the Bible says. Watch it. Be devoted to the Lord with it. Incline it to understanding. Cleanse it and keep it pure. Blessed are the pure in heart, said Jesus, for they shall see God. Now, I'm sure you understand that these verses are not talking about the one pound muscle in our chest that goes lub dub, lub dub. Lub-dub, hopefully about 80 times every minute. But just as the one-pound muscle is absolutely critical for our physical well-being, so also our spiritual heart is absolutely critical for our spiritual well-being. And when the Bible speaks about this spiritual heart, it is, it is talking much more than about something that, that, that centers on romance and feelings and Valentine's Day. According to the scriptures, the spiritual heart is the place where our thoughts reside. Hebrews 4.12, the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to judge, here it comes, the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. You think with your heart. A heart makes plans. Proverbs 19.21 Many are the plans of a man's heart, but the counsel of the Lord, it will stand. Psalm 37.4 Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Your heart has desires and plans and thoughts. With your heart, you reject God. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. 
Yet on the other hand, the wise man says in Psalm 119, verse 10, with all my heart, I have sought thee. And so in the Bible, the heart represents the very core of our soul. We think, we plan, we feel, we seek God, we reject God with our heart. Jesus tells us that our words come from our hearts. Matthew 7.21, he, he reminds us that our sins even flow from our heart. He says, from within. Out of the heart of man proceed evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, and adulteries. We can find other scriptures where the heart wishes, the heart grieves, the heart is bitter, the heart takes courage. With our heart, we keep God's commandments. With our heart, we trust in the Lord. And this is why Proverbs 4.23, that verse I began with, says, Above all else, guard your heart. Not the blood pumping organ in the chest. This isn't an anatomy lesson. But the spiritual heart sets your heading for life. The spiritual heart is mission control for your life. And so with that understanding, let's look at Jesus' teaching for critical cardiac care. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. If you have your Bible, please turn to the first book in the New Testament, Matthew Chapter 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus is speaking. He is preaching a sermon commonly known as the Sermon on the Mount. We're in the middle of that sermon. Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21. Jesus says this. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break it in steel. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We're jumping right into the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, and jumping into the middle of any scripture is a dangerous thing, because when you take a verse or three out of context, it's entirely possible to misunderstand it. It's entirely possible to twist it into meaning something that it does not mean. So, what's the context here in the Sermon on the Mount? Let me give you a little outline and a little overview. Way back in Matthew 5.21, Jesus said, You have heard. And then the next verse he says, But I say to you. Matthew 5.27 starts, You have heard. Verse 28, But I say to you. Matthew 5.31, You have heard. Verse 32, but I say to you, six times in chapter 5, Jesus says, you have heard, but I say to you. You have heard, but I say to you. You have heard, but I say to you. Jesus is making a contrast between the typical religious teaching of his days and what he teaches. And then in chapter 6, the contrast moves from the teaching to the doing. He makes a contrast between how the hypocrites give in verse 2 and how his followers are to give in verse 3. He makes a contrast between how the hypocrites pray in verse 5 and how his followers should pray in verse 6. He adds a contrast between how the Gentiles pray in verse 7, how his followers should pray in verse 8, and that leads into the Lord's Prayer, verse 9. 
And then at the end of that, he makes a contrast between how the hypocrites fast in verse 16 and how his followers should fast in verse 17. You get the idea? There's more. But the whole Sermon on the Mount is a contrast between two ways. Chapter 5 is a contrast in the teaching of the two ways. Chapter 6 is a contrast in the living or the doing of the two ways. And chapter 7 concludes it with a contrast in the destiny of these two ways. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 verses 13 and 14, Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. That's the destiny of the wrong way. There are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. That's the destiny of Jesus' way. He says there are few who find it. So the whole sermon's a contrast. A contrast in the teaching, chapter 5, a contrast in the living and the doing, chapter 6, and a contrast in the destiny, chapter 7. Now that brings me, incidentally, to the first application this morning. Not everyone who quotes the Bible, not everyone who, who stands up and proclaims themselves to be a teacher, a pastor, is teaching the truth. Because Jesus is making a contrast between the teachers, the rabbis, the leaders of his day, and what he teaches. And not every teaching today is teaching the narrow way. And so we must always listen and study with discernment and with wisdom. Is what being taught consistent and true to what Jesus teaches And what the scripture teaches. We must not blindly accept. Not all of these are roads up the same mountain. Because one is a road that leads to destruction. The other is a road that leads to life. So that's the contrast. Now, Matthew 6.19, we are at the very heart, at the very center of this contrast. As Jesus makes a contrast about the treasures the goals, the aspirations of life in these two ways. Here's the main thought this morning. Jesus urges us to be very careful and very deliberate about what we treasure and what we live for because our heart will follow our treasure every time. Andy always says the main idea twice, so here it comes. Jesus urges us to be very careful and very deliberate about what we treasure and what we live for because our heart will follow after our treasure every time. There are three verses. There are three main points. In verse 19, Jesus teaches us the problem with earthly treasures. Number one, the problem with earthly treasures, as he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. See, that's part one of the contrast. That's the goal of the wrong way. Gather up all the treasures you can in this life. You might have seen their bumper sticker on the back of their motorhome that's pulling the ski boat. He who dies with the most toys wins. This is their prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray my Cuisinart to keep. 
I pray my stocks are on the rise and that my analyst is wise, that all the wine I sip is white and that my hot tub's watertight. I ask that racquetball won't get too tough and that all my sushi's fresh enough. I pray my cellular phone still works and that my career won't lose its perks. My microwave won't radiate and my condo won't depreciate. I pray my health club doesn't close and that my money market grows. But if I grow bro- grow- go broke before I wake, I pray, dear Lord, my Lexus, they won't take. That's the person whose treasures are all stored up on earth. And that is perhaps also a reminder for us to check our own prayers that they're not about all about our ease and our comfort and our goodies. But, you know, there are plenty of people who are teaching today, supposedly from the Bible, people to store up treasures on earth. You can have it now. Jesus wants you to be wealthy. Jesus wants you to be rich. This is your best life now. And Jesus says, no, stop treasuring up treasures on earth. That's a fairly literal translation of his words here. First of all, the word treasure is in there twice. It's don't treasure up treasures. Treasure is both the verb and the object. And he says, stop. He uses what is called in the Greek a present imperative verb with a negative. Now, that sounds kind of fancy, right? That particular construction can very often be translated, stop doing something that you are currently doing. Because Jesus understands the heart of man. Jesus knows what we are made of. Jesus knows how we're a sucker for the the bubbles and the baubles and the treasures and the jewels of this earth. And Jesus says, stop storing up these treasures that have no real and no lasting value because they are destroyed or they are stolen every time. He uses three examples here of of what can take away our treasures. Moth, rust, and thieves. And, And those are just three sort of typical examples to remind us that no earthly treasure will last No earthly treasure is permanent. In those days, wealth was often measured and hoarded in clothing. They didn't have factories that produced huge volumes of cloth. They didn't have polyester. They didn't have sewing machines. And so clothes were expensive. Clothes were a considerable investment. The best clothing was made of wool. And the rich people even had gold threads woven into their wool. So they could show off their wealth and hoard their wealth in their clothes. But the pesky little moth played no favorites. It ate the rich man's cloth just as happily as it ate the poor man's. Nature, the moth, whatever it is in nature can take away the treasures of this earth. Wealth was also stored in grain. Remember that man that Jake wore? Read about what did he do? He stored it. He built bigger and bigger barns to store his grain because that was the way you hoarded wealth in those days. The second example that, that Jesus uses is translated rust here, but it's actually the Greek word that just means eating. They used eating as a word for rust because rust appears over time to eat away at your car body or whatever it is, but it could be any kind of eating. 
Rats eat grain. Termites and carpenter ants will eat your house. Mold will grow on food and eat it and so on and so forth. And so we've got two kinds of nature, living things in nature or inanimate things in nature. And if nature isn't bad enough, what's the third thing? Humans, mankind, greed, thieves break in. It's another vivid picture here. The word is literally thieves dig through. In those days, houses were made of mud bricks and stones, and, and thieves would take a sharp stick, and they would come up to the wall of a house at night or when nobody was around, and they'd just start chipping away at it. And over a course of a, you know, maybe 30 minutes or something, they could actually dig a complete hole in the wall of a house and crawl through and plunder the goods. These days, you're probably not going to have a thief dig through your wall But you've got greed and corruption, identity theft, ransomware on your computer, bribes, all kinds of evil and greed of man that will steal our treasure. So no earthly treasure is safe. Now, you you could be tempted to think, well, today we have cloth that moths don't eat. Today we have... We have government-backed securities. Today, we have insurance policies that will protect our wealth. We have federally guaranteed deposits. We have real estate. You're missing the point. No earthly treasure is safe, and God could take it all away in a day. Read the story of Job. Job was the richest man of his day. He was the Bill Gates. He was the Warren Buffett of his day. And it was all gone. Just read Job chapter 1 in one day. And God can still do that. And even if it lasts you for a lifetime, you don't know how long that will be. It could end this afternoon. You know, Jesus, Jake read that parable for us. The, the man was very rich and his land was very prosperous. So he built bigger and bigger barns. And he, he said to himself, I'm going to eat Drink and be merry because I've got all my treasure stored up for years to come. And what does God say to him? You fool. This very night, your life is over. All your treasures amount to nothing. And Jesus concluded with these words. So is the man who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. No treasure on earth will last Ultimately, because you won't last. Neither will I. What are your treasures? Are they here or are they there? Jesus says, stop. Stop laying up treasures for yourself on earth. Now, for the contrast, Jesus teaches the permanence of of heavenly treasures. The permanence of heavenly treasures. Verse 20. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. This time it's a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's not you might think about. It's that this is an imperative for living the Christian life. Store up treasures in heaven. And again, The word treasure is repeated twice. It's both the verb and the object. Treasure up for yourselves 
treasures in heaven. Because in heaven, there are no moths, no corrosion, no corruption, no greedy thieves, no taxes, no ID theft. How do you store up treasures in heaven? I think the Bible, as we read through it, provides us plenty of examples. A simple act of mercy or kindness, compassion, is a treasure stored up in heaven. Once it's done, it's done. It can't be undone. A cup of cold water given to a thirsty one in the name of Jesus is a treasure stored up in heaven. A loaf of bread given to the hungry in the name of Jesus is a treasure stored up in heaven. A compassionate touch or a hug to someone who's sick or hurting or grieving is a treasure stored up in heaven. A kind word Rightly spoken is a treasure in heaven. God's word, rightly taught, is a treasure stored up in heaven. Teaching a little child that Jesus loves you is a treasure stored up in heaven. Proclaiming the good news that Christ died for our sins once for all, the just for the unjust, and that on the third day he rose again. That's a treasure Stored up in heaven. This past Wednesday, I was taking a lunchtime walk, as is my habit to do, through downtown Louisville. And I was panhandled by a young lady who told me she was homeless. And she looked the part. I asked her if she would like a Subway sandwich. Her eyes lit up. And she said, yes, please. So I gave her a Subway gift card. And I talked to her for a few minutes. I gave her a enough on the gift card to be able to buy a meal. I talked to her for a few minutes. I mentioned God and said, God bless you. And and I left her. As I walked away, I prayed for her. And as I walked away, it was one of those things where I thought of all the things I should have said, thought of all the things I could have said that I didn't say. But you know what? Maybe that one act of kindness and compassion and caring, even though I didn't say everything I should have said, Maybe I dropped a penny in my heavenly piggy bank on Wednesday morning. A little act of kindness and compassion and caring. There was a a similar incident a a few months ago. I was in San Antonio, Texas for a a business trip. And San Antonio seems to have more than its share of, of panhandlers. I don't know what it is, but every day, several times a day. I would get panhandled in, in San Antonio. And um, uh, Carolyn and I, Carolyn was, was with me for a part of that trip. Uh, we were panhandled by this young lady named Robin. And so we got to talking to Robin a little bit and did a little something to help out Robin. And the next day, I saw Robin again, panhandling. And the next day, I saw Robin again, panhandling. And so I asked her if she'd like a sandwich. And this time I was able to sit down with her and she seemed talkative and friendly and she she asked me questions and the Holy Spirit gave great freedom and I began to share the gospel with her. And, and the conversation at one point went something like this. I said, Robin, suppose that you live in a home and you haven't been able to pay your electric bill for several months and the power company is about to shut off your electricity. And suppose that you haven't been able to pay your rent for a while and the landlord is about to have you evicted. I find that homeless people can often relate to that story. 
And, and I said, then suppose I come along and I pay your back rent and I pay your next month's rent and I pay your outstanding balance with the electric company. But then imagine that the next day the landlord comes to you and he says, well, I want you also to pay your back rent. What would you say? You say, no, it's already paid. I said, that's right. That is exactly what Jesus did for us on the cross. He paid the price for my sins, for yours, if you believe in him and trust him. So you don't have to pay it anymore. It's paid in full. It is finished. It is done. We talked some more. She asked me questions about the Bible. She asked me questions about heaven. At the end of the conversation, she said she believed. Maybe, just maybe, I dropped a nickel in my heavenly piggy bank that morning. Because that was a treasure in heaven. But you know what? That brings me to the greatest treasure in heaven. The greatest treasure in heaven is Jesus himself. If you know Jesus, if you love Jesus, you have a treasure in heaven. If you follow Jesus, you have a treasure in heaven. If you worship God this morning in spirit and in truth, you're storing up treasure in heaven. If here in this this church service or afterwards you encourage another brother or sister in Christ, you're storing up treasure in heaven. And those treasures can never be taken away. So Jesus has shown us the problem with earthly treasures. They never last. He has shown us the permanence of heavenly treasures. They never fail. And third, he teaches us the importance of of this truth about treasures. Verse 21. The importance of this truth about treasures. He says, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We all have favorite verses. This is one of my absolute top favorites. I also believe this is one of the most important verses in the Bible for understanding how to live the Christian life. For where your treasure is, There will your heart be also. That little word for, F-O-R, just three letters. That makes the connection between what he said in the previous two verses and what he says in this verse. It could be because. Don't store up treasures here. Store up treasures there because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The human heart, the spiritual heart, goes after treasure like metal to a magnet. Ever seen one of those huge electromagnets that that is mounted on a crane and they use it in the junkyard to pick up a whole car, you know, and they put the car in the crusher? The human heart is like a bolt that goes to that electromagnet. And it's fastened on hard. Our heart goes after treasure. This verse begins to make the transition from the the living and the doing in the contrast to the destiny 
in the contrast. Jesus still has more to say about the, the living and the doing, but he's beginning also to hint about, about the destiny. Because where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And eventually, there will you be also. Your destiny. The heart is like a heat-seeking missile that locks on to the, the exhaust of that enemy intruder jet. There's your treasure. There goes your heart. Heart's like the needle on a compass. As that needle is always drawn to the north, the heart is always drawn to the treasure. If your treasure is money, materialism, a big house, beautiful things, jewelry, gold, there goes your heart right after your treasure. If your, if your treasure is a romantic relationship, there goes that heat-seeking heart right after it. Remember Solomon? Wisest man that ever lived was not wise enough to guard his heart. First Kings 11.3 tells us he had 700 wives, princesses, and 300 concubines. And then come some of the saddest words in the Bible. His wives turned his heart away. He stockpiled a treasury of beautiful women and they turned his heart away from God. Guard your heart. Guard your heart. Listen to Jeremiah 17.9. Please listen carefully because this is talking about you. It's talking about me. The heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? You have heart disease. So do I. We have a desperately sick heart that will go after treasure every time. Jesus in the context is clearly speaking about the treasures of money and materialism because three verses later he says in verse 24, no one can serve two masters. He will either hate the one and love the other. He will be devoted to one or and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. It's probably the first and most obvious earthly treasure, but there are plenty of others. A boyfriend or a girlfriend could become your treasure. There are a few teenagers here. Teenagers, you need to be especially careful about this. If you watch, if you watch over the years, and if you know a few young people who have walked away from the faith, most often, not always, but most often, it happens around a romantic relationship. I've seen that happen to teenagers. I've seen it happen to young men and women, college age and just out of college. I've seen it happen to people in their 50s. They are so hungry for that romantic relationship that it becomes their treasure and it draws their heart away from the things of God. There are other treasures. Your career could become your treasure. Perhaps men are a little more susceptible to this, but it can happen to women too. If your career becomes your treasure, your heart will lock on like a heat-seeking missile, and there it goes, away from the things of God. Security can be an earthly treasure. Clothing 
can be an earthly treasure. Reputation can be an earthly treasure. Prestige in the community can be earthly treasure. Some people make sports their earthly treasure. Zoom. There goes their heart. Away from the things of God and after sports. Won't last. The next practical application of these verses is to ask yourself, what's my treasure? What do I treasure? What treasure tempts me? That could be a good family discussion. What earthly treasure tends to tempt you? How might you be tempted? What do you think about when you have nothing about which you have to think? That might be your treasure. If you have a free day with no obligations or responsibilities, how will you spend it? That may well be your treasure. How do you spend your discretionary income? You know, that little bit of money you have left over at the end of the month after you've paid the rent or the house payment, the bills, the, the food and everything else. How do you spend that? Now, some of you are saying, well, I don't have anything left over after all those bills. Well, then, suppose I gave you $100 to spend on anything you want. How would you spend it? That might be your treasure. If your treasures are here, your heart will be here. Your destiny will not be in heaven. If your treasures are in heaven, your heart will be drawn to heaven. Your destiny will be heaven. Life on earth is nothing more than a dot. It's how long it lasts. It's a dot. Eternity is a line that goes on forever. Will you store up your treasures for the dot? Or will you store up your treasures for the line? One of my most favorite hymns is Be Thou My Vision. We're going to sing it in just a minute, but listen to the words. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence, my light. Be thou my wisdom, and thou my true word. I ever with thee, and thou with me, Lord. Thou my great Father, I thy true Son. Thou in me dwelling, and I with thee one. And verse 3. It's the best one, I think. Riches I heed not, nor man's empty praise. Thou mine inheritance, now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart. High King of heaven, my treasure thou art. High King of heaven, my victory won. May I reach heaven's joys, O bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all the high king of heaven your treasure that's how you guard your heart let's pray our father we confess that we are people of the fickle heart that we can often be snared by the toys by the trinkets by the silly stuff of this earth forgive us O lord But we also confess that there is no greater treasure than Jesus, than knowing him, than walking with him. Forgive us when we forget, shape us, and mold us to seek after real treasure.
and to seek after Jesus. I pray it in his name. Amen.